Good morning. Who uses this podium on Sunday mornings? I'll put it back. All right. My name is Andrea Stovall. I'm the children's director here at Grace Community, if you don't know my face. But you're about to really get to know me because you will be seeing me every Sunday for about the next six weeks because uh, we are coming up on our missions conference next month in March for the first two Sundays, and I'm here to talk about that. Um, we are one month until that, and our missions conference is going to be Saturday, March 2nd, and then Sunday, March 3rd, and March 10th, both in the a.m. and p.m. of both of those Sundays. And um, we are very excited. We are going to have 14 of our very own missionaries speaking at our missions conference. We're going to have one former missionary and four guest speakers over those three days, that Saturday and those, both of those Sundays. Um, so I want you to mark your calendars uh, next week. Um, over this next month, we're going to hear from our missionaries through videos, the ones that can't be here. And then um, I want you to plan on being with us those two Sundays. Uh, we have a lot of very exciting missionaries doing really great things locally here in our United States and across the world. So plan on being here with us. Um, you should have been handed a mission trip passport. This is our passport for our mission trips coming up this year in 2024. Um, we are going to have a lot of local trips this year um, here in Birmingham um, up in Ponderosa. Those are very close trips. We've got some that are uh, very close within adjoining states and then um, some in the contingent states over the 50 states and then we have uh, foreign trips planned. So look through that passport. Um, next week I will have applications out in the foyer Everyone who is interested in a trip, any trip this year, will need to fill out an application with our missions committee. Uh, starting next week, they will be out in the foyer. You will need to fill one out. Even if you went on a trip last year, you will need to reapply. And then um, in our office, I will have a box labeled for you to turn those applications in. Um, and uh, someone from our committee will collect those, and then we'll be in contact with you about your preferred trip to go on, and we will get more information to you. Um, I wish there was a cookie cutter for mission trips, but they are all very different. Every trip is, um, has different needs. Some are very heavy evangelistically. Some are very work-oriented, and some are a combination of both. Some are medically uh, have medically needs uh, that that are needed, and so uh, it takes a lot of different types of people to go on trips. So um, some of the foreign trips are um, you need to be in really good health to go to. So depending on what trip you need, you will be contacted. Um, some of us who have gone on the different trips, you will be there will be a pre-meeting to let you know what your trip entails so you will get all the information about your trip. So that's why the application is necessary so we can give you all the information about your trip. So, um, and last year we had, the Lord blessed us with so much extra money for trips and it was all used up. This year we don't have that overabundance. So 
Um, we've had to draft some new policies about how the money is going to be used ahead of time for trips, uh, down payments, and such. So we'll need to get you that information ahead of time. So um, we have all those new policies. So once you decide, um, look through that, pray about it, decide if you can take the time off work, um, if you can um, afford some of it. We do have um, scholarship money. If you've never been on a trip before, we do have scholarship money for first trip takers. And um, we do have two fundraising opportunities for anyone who wants to go on a trip that are coming up, and I'll talk about those more through this month. So um, I do have a video that will play next uh, from John and Minori Lucas. They are some missionaries of ours in Peru, so you can play that.
Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning, and I um, wanted to just make mention of one thing to you about missions, and that is that if the Lord puts it on your heart to go, He'll provide. He will do that. He'll, he'll, he has all the resources, and He'll provide, so don't, don't let that stop you or hinder you from going. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm going uh, two different places. I'm going to a country within a country. I'm going down on the bayou. <laughs> well, that's the bayou to you guys. And uh, going to Camp Pearl in Louisiana. I'm actually leading that team. It's a work uh, construction, which is kind of interesting that I'm leading that. I don't plan on constructing anything. But um, I'm taking people, hopefully, that will know how to do that and um, uh, to a place that I spent a lot of my time growing up. And that's uh, Camp Pearl. And then I'll be going to Portugal in June. And so, Lord willing, and so I just encourage you, if the Lord lays it on your heart, you know, be open to what He wants, and um, you'll just, you'll have a testimony about that, right? And then something you certainly don't want to want to uh, forget. All right, well, I wanted to make mention of a couple of um, announcements this morning. One concerns our Decades Bash Fellowship on Saturday night at 530 the big thing I can say here is you do not have to dress up. We want you to dress, but you don't have to dress up, all right? You don't have to represent your decade uh, when you come. The point of it is fellowship. We want to enjoy time together, and this is a good way that you can do that. It starts at 530 uh, this Saturday, and uh, you can uh, sign up uh, sign up sheets out in the foyer. And um, if you want to bring your yearbook, which is a revelation of what you did look like years ago. That would be great. I'd, I would love to see it. If you just want to share with me, I'll, I'll be happy to do that, just to kind of take a look at that, all right? And um, I might bring mine. We'll see. But I encourage you guys to, to be a part of that. It's just a good time of fellowship. Again, the attire is optional uh, in terms of dressing up uh, decades attire. So, All right? The uh, second announcement is about our pictorial directory. Uh, our church directi- directory is available online. You should have received one of these sheets when you walked in today. And so our online directory is available. And the best thing I can say is that if you have any questions about that, contact Amanda Laughlin. Amanda, stand please. Amanda, La- That is Amanda Laughlin. So you contact Amanda and she'll be happy to walk you through if you need assistance on how uh, you can view the directory. We also are um, going to have a, a printed version um, for those of you who may want that. But one thing to realize, when you get the printed version, it's probably already out of date. So that would be something to consider. Um, the easiest thing would be, be to have that online directory so that you could see as we add different folks, as the Lord adds to our our membership, that you'd be able to view those folks. And so I just encourage you, if you do want a printed version, and I understand that, we understand that, you can sign up for that in the fellowship hall. Because we don't want to make, you know, 100 of them and only distribute 20 of them. So you guys make sure you sign up for that if that's what you uh, desire. All right? Well, I want to read this morning what we'll be covering um, this morning, and that is John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. John 1, 14 through 18. And I'd like to read 
maybe make a couple of comments as I go along, but if you would stand as, as we read from John chapter 1, verse 14 through verse 18. Now, the first 18 verses are what's called a prologue, which is simply um, the foundation for the rest of the book. So if you don't get the prologue, you're not going to get the rest of the book. And what John's going to do is he's going to, as he finishes this prologue, he then is going to really kind of race through, in a lot of ways, the life of Christ and then the final week of the life of Christ and then his resurrection and post-resurrection experiences. But this is so important that we would have a good knowledge of verses 1 through 18 because it lays out for us uh, the rest of the book. All right, Verse 14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten, our one and only, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. For of his fullness, the word there means abundance. For of his abundance we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized or came, is actually the better translation, came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this morning as we consider these verses today. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we are able to open it, that we're able to read it, With the help of your spirit, we're able to understand it. It gives us light for how we are to live. It helps us as we go through um, the valleys in our lives, which seem to be uh, more, many more, than the mountaintops. But you teach us through your life and through the word how we must live to your glory. And we want to do that. If we belong to you, um, we want to live for your glory. And you help us to understand what that looks like through your word. And so this morning, I pray that we've come with prepared hearts to understand better Jesus Christ. That we might be great representations as we're out in the world in which we live For this service, we simply say, you be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We make our prayer in the name of Christ the Lord. Amen. Light of the world 
stepped down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you.
Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me this depart. No tongue can bid me this depart. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me Behold him Spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable lion, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Guys, I just wanted to give a quick word of testimony before we sing this next song. You guys can have a seat. Um, so yesterday we came to practice, and uh, Kevin, our drummer, uh, came and said, man, he said, uh, you know I battle gout a lot. I said, you eat too much protein, man. Yeah, that's the king's uh, disease, right? Uh, too much protein. That's what kings got back in the day because they were the only ones that ate meat. And uh, he said, yeah, it's protein and stress. He said, but usually it'll flare up in my foot and in my knee sometimes, he said. And yesterday, Friday, he said, uh, man, it got a hold of me Friday afternoon, and my knee, I couldn't even move. He said, it, my knee was so swollen. And he said, uh, he said uh, I knew I had to play drums. I knew I had a lot of responsibilities this weekend. He said, I prayed. He said, I prayed like I ought to be praying all the time. <laughs> That's what he said. I said, well, I bet I know what you're talking about. I prayed, Lord, take, it, take that from me and, and just get me over it. And he said, usually it lasts a few days, several days, especially when it's that bad. Uh, he said he woke up Saturday morning and it was gone. He said, the Lord just took it away from him. 
And so I said, well, man, let me, let me tell them about that. I said, that's, that's a wonderful testimony. And that's, that's a testimony that leads into this song because God, his position, God's position to us guys is one of open arms. He is always wanting us to turn to him over and over again in every situation we find ourselves in. And when we do that, we find grace upon grace, just like the verse said. There's always just grace upon grace upon grace waiting on us. And so uh, that's the message of the song. We did this song maybe one time. I wanted to reintroduce it and do it as a, congreg- a congregational number. I want you guys to sing with me. Um, and if you know the words, sing along. If not, just listen to the words. We're going to start doing this one together as a congregation. Every time I come run, I find grace on repeat. Welcome me with open arms where I have been. Every time I surrender, every time I fall, I find grace more precious than I did before. I'm gonna live my Oh 
God's people said amen, right? What a great, great song. Aren't we glad it's about grace and not law? Aren't we glad about that? Hallelujah. Um, I think one of the one of the points I'd want to make to you as we start out, just as a reminder uh, this morning, is that this Gospel of John is written uh, during a time when uh, Domitian was ruler of Rome. And the emperors set themselves up as gods. And they demanded worship. Uh, they had temples, they had statutes, they wanted people to proclaim them as God. Do you know that there is but one God? And our God, who is from all eternity, took on flesh. And he dwelt among men. So that we can have a relationship with him through Christ. Have you thought about that? That the blessing is that the Lord wants relationship with us. And once we come into relationship with the Father through the Son, He wants fellowship with us. Have you thought about that much? I hope you have. Because in the time in which John wrote, there was pressure on the church to conform to what was around them. They had pressures just like we have pressures. We have people in our day who don't view Jesus Christ as God or the way to the Father. Oprah Winfrey, any of you ever heard of her? She had a quote years ago. She said, I'm a Christian and believe there are many more ways to God than just through Christ. Well, Oprah, there's not. Because the authority is not you. The authority is not me. The authority is not you. The authority is the Lord God. I love the way the gospel of John unfolds. It's a love letter to mankind that simply says, you can have relationship with God through Christ. You say, well, how was that appreciated by the apostles? So much that I don't know that 
we could even declare it. This morning, we're going to approach a section that is just so deep that I could spend probably weeks just talking about this one section, and you would say, Thad, please move on. But this section of Scripture is one of the most popular sections in the Gospel of John, because in it is declared the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we understand why Jesus came. And John is very clear on that, why he came. And we want to see that. And as we get to unfold and turn the pages of Scripture, we're going to see that John, in these first 18 verses, sets the stage for mankind as it relates to Jesus Christ. To this point in the prologue, there have been things said that I hope you have captured. I hope you've thought about. I hope more than just for the few moments I speak on a Sunday morning. Here's some things that have been said so far in the first uh, 13 verses. Remember we said Jesus Christ, according to the, the word here in John 1, has always been. He's always existed. All right, that's important to know. Jesus Christ has always been in existence with the Father. That's important to know. Jesus Christ has always been God. That's important to know. We said that the first week. Jesus Christ has always been in fellowship with the Father. Remember, we, we looked at that word that means toward Jesus Christ was always toward the Father. Now, these are things, if you were going to take a, a, a class in doctrine 101, you would need to know these things. And you would need to have some, some verses to go with that. Jesus Christ has always been in fellowship with the Father. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Remember, we said each and everything. That's what the Bible says to us here in John chapter 1. That's certainly not held today, is it? No, evolution's taught as not theory but fact. When the reality says that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Then we saw that Jesus Christ is the life-giving light to a dark world. We just sang about that. He's the life-giving light. And we saw that in the first five verses. Then we saw last week together that John was providentially sent from God to give testimony about the light. Providentially sent. Remember, I mean, that you're not going to hopefully forget what we talked about last week from the Gospel of Luke. It wasn't by chance. God had John for that specific task. To be what? A witness. To testify. And then we saw John came to testify. Why? Why did he come to testify? Why do people testify? People testify because they want you to what? Believe what's being said. Guess what? John came to testify so that all might believe in who? In the light. And remember he said, I'm not that light. I'm not that light. And then we saw last week as well, the true light came to his own creation and his own people. 
As creation was receptive, as people not so much. The true light we saw last week from verses 11 and 12 was rejected. But also there were those who took him in. That's the word there, received. They took him in and believed. And that's what happened to you at salvation. You took him in and you believed. And then we saw that those who took him in and believed are called children of God. We're we're a part of the family of God. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a family. And we're probably closer as a family, maybe than we are to our own biological family. We have a family here. And since I was a boy, I was um, always thankful to hear the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. What a wonderful song. And then we saw last week that those who took him in and believed were born again. Which is a divine work of the Holy Spirit at salvation. They were not born again because of family affiliation. We looked at that. They were not born again because of their own power. They were not born again because of headship or position in a home. Remember we saw that last week. The difference in the term there is andros, verse 13, not anthropos. As we move to this section this morning, I want to just give you kind of a title, an overview. Jesus Christ, His glory and grace. That's what I see in these verses. Now, there's some other things we'll talk about, but when I see this section, I see Jesus Christ, His glory and grace. Both are mentioned here in this section of Scripture. So let's go through it together as we talk this morning about verses 14 through 18. All right? Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's John writing about? Jesus Christ. (laughs) He scared me there for a second. Jesus Christ. The Word, Jesus Christ. The one who existed from all eternity, the Bible says, became flesh. This is the incarnation. He became flesh. Did you know that John even testifies about the fact that Jesus became flesh? And that's very, very important. And remember the 36 weeks we were in 1 John? Yes, you do. You remember what was said in the very beginning as John wrote? What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning who? Jesus Christ, the Word of life. He's real. They touched him. Right? They touched him. They heard him. They saw him. They walked with him. The word became flesh. What would it have been like to have been one of those disciples? 
See, at that, I'm a little jealous. Can I help you with that? You know, the Bible tells us Enoch walked with God. The Bible tells us here in John's Gospel that the disciples walked with the Lord Jesus. Do you know what? One day, for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to be in the very presence of our Lord and our Savior. And as John would write in 1 John, we will see him as he is, right? Face to face in all his glory. You ever been to a pep rally? I used to like pep rallies in school because you got out of class. Just being honest. Now, I want to say this in the right way. I want you to hear it in the right way. Appropriately, we need to have more pep rallies about our Lord and our Savior. It's okay to celebrate the Lord Jesus. Well... The Bible tells us he became flesh. And notice it says, and dwelt among us, John says. That word dwelt means this, he tented among them. I love that expression. Some say he tabernacled among us, and they think back to the Old Testament and the tabernacle and Israel and the Lord. But I like the tinted among us because I can kind of picture tinting. Can you? We have people that tent in this congregation. They dwell with other people. I would love to be a fly on the wall with some of those tenting trips, except tenting in the 21st century is a little bit different. They have these nice, big trailers and some of them pull the trailer and some of them drive these nice RVs and, and they tent together. What happens when you tent together? What happens? Fellowship. You're close in proximity. Now that can be good and that can be interesting. We'll just say it like that. You find out about the person. These disciples had Jesus tent among them. And they got to know him. Are you listening to me? They got to know him. You say, Dad, but wow, I, I mean, he's not walking around today. I want to remind you of something. You remember what Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross, I've been with you, but I'm going to be in you. He's in us. The Lord's in us if we belong to him. You say, yeah, but that I want to see him. You're going to. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to give you something to think about. I'm not making this up. The Bible tells us in the description under the new heaven and new earth, 
It says, and I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Guys, listen to me. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord, dwelling with him for all eternity if we know Christ. So John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says, we saw his glory. So Jesus here displayed his glory. We saw his glory, glory is of the only begotten or one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does it mean when John says we saw his glory? What do you think? Is he referring here to the transfiguration? You think that's what he's talking about? Because that we would include it himself at least. But who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter and James only. I don't think he's talking about the transfiguration. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It did. Moses and Elijah were there on the mountain as well with the Lord Jesus when he was transfigured. I believe he's talking about his attributes. We saw him. We witnessed his attributes, who he is. You say, that what are attributes? Who he is, who is Jesus. They witnessed who he was. And do you know the gospel of John is a revelation of what they witnessed? They witnessed his love. They witnessed his omniscience. You're going to see that. They witnessed his omnipotence. You're going to see that. They saw it. They witnessed his holiness. They witnessed his wisdom. They witnessed his mercy. So when John says we saw his glory, I believe he's talking about their life with him. We saw him, yes, as man, fully man, but we saw him as fully God. We saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. What do you think of when you think of grace and truth? Jesus being full of grace and truth. Do you think about grace? What does that word mean? Unmerited favor. We think of the favor of the Lord Jesus. We think of salvation, don't we? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the favor of the Lord. Grace, grace, God's grace. We sing about it. Grace that is greater than all our sins. So when we think about grace, we think about salvation. We think about his favor. And you know what else we think about? We think about the fact that He takes us as we are. Grace says he takes me as I am. He's not waiting for us to get cleaned up. Don't you like that? Isn't it sad that there are a number of people 
Because, you know, now the fastest growing religion is they don't believe there's, they believe there's no God. There's no religion at all. It's like 24% of people. But those outside that 24%, besides you, who are evangelical Christians, if you belong to Christ, I'm not assuming everyone in here does. But did you know that every other religion, it's about works? It's about what you do. Aren't you glad it's not? How would you even know if you've done enough? Who has that book? Who has that list? (laughs) Wonderful grace of Jesus. Greater than what? All our sin. So when we think about grace, we think about the favor of the Lord in salvation. When we think about truth, what do we think about? We think about what he's told us. What did he tell his disciples in John 14? I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we think about the truth, we think about what, not only who he is, but we think about what he has said. Is it true what he said? Do you believe what Jesus has said? I'm going to ask that for a verbal response. Do you believe what Jesus has said? You say, why does that matter? Three times in the Gospel of Mark, in successive chapters, Jesus Christ predicts from his own mouth his death and his resurrection. And he does it in some detail, saying what was going to take place. Like I was telling the students Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Revelation in six weeks. Can you imagine me taking anyone through a book in six weeks? But we're doing it by the grace of the Lord. And one of the descriptions in chapter 1 is that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He tells the truth. He is the truth. But he's told the truth. So when he predicts his death and his resurrection, what do we see in Scripture? That he died and that he what? He rose again. So what he said prior to was true. You say, why does that matter? Oh, it matters. Because all that has been said about what will come is true. (laughs) You like that? So if you're not in Christ today, you don't like that. Because if what he says is true, and it is... If you reject Christ, you'll spend an eternity in hell, the lake of fire. But if you receive Christ, then when you read passages like the dead in Christ will rise first, you're like, and then we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord, we're going to be taken with them to meet the Lord in there, to forever be with the Lord. You like that? Do you like the descriptions of heaven? Do you like that? He's full of grace and truth. What he says is true. <laughs> I like that. 
Well, notice he goes on, verse 15. Verse 15 looks out of place. Like if you were going to just put this together, you go, oh, this doesn't make any sense at all. There must be a mistake. Oh, no mistake. What's John doing in verse 15, John the Apostle? He's using John the Baptist's testimony as what? Evidence. Proof. Of what? Of the glory of God. That indeed he is fully God. That Jesus Christ is fully God. The one who took on flesh is fully God. You say, well, why does that even matter? Can I give you an answer? To the Jews, when something was testified or said, it was confirmed on the basis of what? Two or three witnesses. Mm. So what does John do? He provides another witness. He gives another testimony about the one who is fully man and fully God. Here it is. Now imagine, guys, imagine this. Like if, if you were, were receiving this information... And you knew the whole thing that surrounded John the Baptist... And Jesus. And you knew Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But you knew that six months before. John the Baptist was born. And then John the Apostle says. This is what John the Baptist testified. Which he's going to say again. John testified about him. Remember he's referring to John the Baptist. Or John the Testifier. John testified about him and cried out. I love doing word studies. I won't bore you with the whole thing. But do you know what that cried out expresses? Deep, personal emotion. It's being so convinced of something, you're crying out. You're saying it at the top of your lungs. With all you got. Like, for example, I said... Jesus Christ is Lord. You're good with that? (laughs) You're concerned to me today. Oh, we cry out on Saturdays in the fall, don't we? I think I'm going to stop crying out because it's not doing any good with my hogs. We cry out and we say, Roll Tide. And we say, War Eagle. I guess we say, Go Blazers. And we say, Go Bulldogs. We is very few there, Andy. I'm not even sure if Tommy does that. But we cry out why we're following a team. You know, John cried out. About Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. He cried out saying. This was he. Of whom I said. He who comes after me. Has a higher rank. What does that mean? A higher rank than I. He tells you what it means. For he existed. Before me. He was from all eternity. He's greater 
than I am. Well, there's one witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is God made flesh. That was John the Apostle, along with the other apostles. But in this context, John is providing another another one who testifies about the deity of Christ. So he moves from the glory of the Lord to the grace of the Lord. Look in verse 16. For of his fullness... Now this is important to understand. For of his fullness, or his abundance is the term, we have all received grace... Upon grace. We've all received grace upon grace. The better translation is after. Grace after grace. Grace for grace. The picture is of an overflowing grace. That word fullness means to overflowing. It's the word plero in the Greek. It means overflowing. Um. When I picture overflowing, I don't necessarily have a great analogy, but I thought of one. Sometimes our sink runs to overflowing, right? We forget we've turned it on, and we have a mess in the floor. The picture is of that. It's it's overflowing, an abundance. It's grace after grace. He says, for of his fullness. Now look, look at this. We have all received. Who is we? Who is we in this context? We in this context is John the Apostles and those, verse 12, who who have received him. Those who have received him then have received grace upon grace. And we need to think about it in, in two ways. Grace as it relates to salvation because that's how we're saved. We're saved by what? Grace. And according to Paul in Romans 5, we stand in grace, don't we? So we're not only saved by grace, but we live by grace. Aren't you glad? How glad are you that you live by grace? You say, well, that that means that, um, that we don't have to worry about what God says to us if we live by grace. That we don't need to think about what God wants for our lives. Well, that's not true. We need to understand that grace is not a license to live like we want to live. Paul said that, right? Grace is not this, okay, I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm saved, but it's my life. No, you're saved, but it's God's life. You know, people talk about, just for the sake of illustration, you know, this lordship issue. I, I look at lordship and I go, hey, lordship says that I live under the directive of God as I live my Christian life, right? So as I live my Christian life, I'm under the headship of my master. That's the reality, right? Grace is not this license for me to behave as I want to behave. And do you know that Paul, in his letter to the Roman Christians, I mean, he is so clear about this, He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And do you know what chapter 7 is? 
chapter 7 is a testimonial about Paul's own life, about the struggles he had living the Christian life in light of understanding grace. In fact, he, he says, the very things I don't want to do, I find myself what? Doing. You ever been there? You're doing the very things that the Lord doesn't want you to do? Well, you know what Paul's conclusion was? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? This old man that's still hanging around. You know what he says? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. Because there are demands the Lord has for us in our life. But on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Guys, there's grace and salvation. That's how one's saved. But there's grace in living the Christian life. And John gives this beautiful picture for all who've received the Lord. He says there's grace upon grace. Well, verse 17 is another one of those verses like verse 15, except it's a connected verse to verse 16. That word for that starts verse 17 is a very strong term. And it connects back to what John has just said about this grace after grace. He said, for the law was given through Moses. Who gave that law to Moses? God did. When you think about the law, what do you think about? You think about what God has said you will do and you will not do. Right? Was it good? Was the law good? Oh, it was good. It helped what? It helped prepare the world for something better. And who is that something better? Christ. But what did the law do? The law revealed what? It revealed the heart of man. It revealed man's lost condition. It was a foreshadowing of what? The deliverer. The one who could deliver. The one who could take away sin for good. You say, what's the big deal with that? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews. I want to show you something. Hebrews chapter 10. All right? So, here it says, the law was given through Moses. And this law had demands. But I want to make a comment before we look at chapter 10. Do you know that in the midst of that law, that dispensation, that time period, grace was also present? Guys, listen to me. That's very important to understand. That grace is a thread that runs all through the scriptures. So in every dispensation, there is an example of grace. The Bible tells us that Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? Grace. You ever read Exodus 33? The conversation there with Moses? That word favor is used, I'm not even sure how many times. Favor, favor, favor. 
That's grace as it related to Moses. But the law was insufficient. (laughs) It wasn't sufficient. In fact, the author of Hebrews says this, chapter 10, verse 1, for the law, since it has only a shadow, it's only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, look at this, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Can't do it. Otherwise, he says, would they not have ceased to be offered? Yeah. (laughs) But because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. Then he says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away what? Sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. <laughs> he takes away the first in order to do what? Establish the second. By this we will have been sanctified through the offering. Now look at this. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Look at this. Of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, who's he? Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he's perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What did he do after he made the sacrifice? The author of Hebrews says he what he sat down. Mission accomplished. Do you know you're going to see that again in John 17? And that's before he goes to the cross. He's declaring mission accomplished. Do you know what the gospels are about? Victory. It's so important that we see that. The gospels are about victory in Jesus. There is no other victory. The law was given through Moses. It was just a foreshadowing of who was to come. Notice he says, grace and truth. There's that phrase again. Came is the word. The better translation is came. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Did John and the apostles experience that answer? Yes. 
Do we? We do. You know the advantage that we have that they didn't have? We got all of it. The full revelation. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized or came through Jesus Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sure Paul didn't write that? <laughs> you know, wretched man that I am, he, somebody, right? I think he wrote it before it was written. Well, then he concludes this section in a way, kind of the way he begins. No one has seen God at any time. What in the world does that mean? It means no one has seen the full glory of God in his total essence. That's what it means. There were people in the Bible that wanted to see God, right? Moses wanted to see God. Do you know there's an example in this gospel, which I want to use because I want us to remain in this gospel. In the gospel of John chapter 14, go with me there. This will be the last place I ask you to turn before you can go eat your lunch. All right? Coming off... In context, and coming off the heels of saying, look, where I'm going, you can't come now, but you can come later, Jesus comforts their hearts by talking about the dwelling place that he was preparing for them. And in verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, continue on. If you had known me, Jesus says, you would have known my what? Father also. From now on, you know him and have what? Seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. <laughs> and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you know what that passage proves? Lots of things. Philip was just a man. You know, there was doubt on the part of the disciples through the life and ministry of Christ. You need to know that. But do you know the Lord, by His grace, dealt with that with these disciples? So it's true when John writes, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, the one and only, is that phrase, who is in the bosom, which we talked about a few weeks ago, which speaks to the closeness there of the Father. And then he ends this section with a wonderful phrase that all people who love the word exegetical or exegete will love. He says he has explained him. What in the world does that mean? 
Well, it's a great translation. Jesus has explained the Father. He has explained God. We get our word exegete from that word. Isn't that pretty cool? Might not mean much to you. But it's pretty cool to me because when I was in, in, in Bible college and in seminary, exegete, 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 exegetical, exegetical, and you're like, man, how many times are they going to use that word? But it simply means to explain, to interpret, to give meaning. So this is how this works. Jesus has explained God. That's what John is saying. Jesus has explained him how? Through his life and through his testimony and through the things that he said and through the things that he did. (laughs) He explained the Father. I read an article in Moody Monthly several years ago. There was a man named Frank Fairchild. And he told the story of a beautiful fresco on the ceiling of a Roman palace. It was painted in 1614. Any of you around during that time? 1614. It was one of the most impressive paintings of its time. But there was only one thing about it. When the visitors would come to look at the painting, we'll just pretend it's above me, they would have to cock their neck back so far they just couldn't stay in that position and enjoy and take in the painting. So you know what the directors did? The ones, the powers that be that were in charge? They put... A mirror on the floor. So that when the guests and the visitors came, they could look at the mirror and see the fresco. You know what? When Jesus came, he was a mirror to the Father. Isn't that awesome? Well, that's the prologue. And I know how you think, because I've been around you a while. That took us six weeks, or five weeks, to go through 18 verses. But if you don't get those 18, you're not going to appreciate the rest of the gospel. So I trust that when you leave this place today, there'll be one thing on your mind. Jesus Christ is God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And as I think about this introduction that John the Apostle gives, I just wonder how, I I, I just can't imagine him writing this just without not only objectivity, but just emotion. That he walked and he talked with the God of all creation. It changed his life. So I guess the application is pretty simple. Knowing Jesus Christ changed the life of these apostles, 
and in turn changed millions and millions of people's minds through their witness. What say we? What do we say about Jesus Christ? And how has he and is he changing our life? Please help us by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, guys. Well, to close out our service, uh, I wanted to introduce another new song. It's one I heard uh, a few months ago, and uh, uh, I just fell in love with it. It's kind of wrapped around a couple of really old hymns. Um, My faith has found a resting place and nothing but the blood. You'll hear kind of uh, a resonance of those hymns in the song. But uh, you guys just listen to the words, and it's just a reminder to us that uh, we should always, always be going back to the cross and bleeding the blood.
Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood. stand as we close. I just want to make mention of as a reminder of the fellowship. We're just going to enjoy time together on Saturday. Trust you'll come be a part of that. And it was great seeing you today. Make sure you speak to someone uh, before you leave. All right, you're dismissed.